Parshas Vayakel, aspiring to the divine while remaining human. Let's develop this theme. First, by dealing with the big issue in our parasha, the big question, what I call the elephant in the room question, we all know in the parasha, and that is the need for this parasha at all. Parshas Vayakel is largely repetition. It narrates the intricate construction and crafting of the Mishkan, parroting Parshas Truma. The one difference being Parshas Truma was Hashem's projection, telling Moshe, this is the way it should be done. Parshas Vayakel, it goes by piece by piece. It says the Jews did this part, the Jews did that part, the Jews did that part. And if the idea was simply to convey to me information that, in fact, the Jews came through and did all of these Mishkan endeavors, could have summed it up in one Pasuk. They, did, they fulfilled all of the Mishkan crafting, like Hashem said. And yet the Parsha leads us by the hand through all the intricacies of the Jewish people doing it. Apparently, when it comes to Mishkan, the Torah feels it important for us to relate to the Mishkan on two levels. One in Parshas Truma, Hashem's vision, how it should be built. And the other in Parshas Vayakel, the Jewish people's actualizing thereof. That the notion of godly vision and people's implementation are narrated both equally and extensively, implying that there is some great partnership when it comes here to the Mishkan between Hashem and the Jewish people, and both of their halakim, both of their shares in this Mishkan enterprise, require equal representation. So for all the intricacy of, of Parashat Truma, how Hashem conveyed the Mishkan to be built, the Jewish people must have an equal share of representation describing their endeavor building. Let's understand what this notion of partnership between Hashem and the people vis-a-vis Mishkan is all about. The key is to dig deeper into the Mishkan. Dig deep, deep, deeper into its meaning, into the very soul and neshama of the Mishkan, what it was coming to do. And I begin with the Medrash. The Medrash is commenting on the Pasuk and Shir Hashirim, Basi Ligani, I have come to my garden. Hashem says vis-a-vis the Mishkan, I have come to my garden. That's the Mishkan. It's my secret garden. Says the Medrash, this means... This has been my garden all along. The Mishkan is not something new. It is a return to something old and ancient. God's garden, Hashem's garden of old, i.e. Gan Eten. How so explains the Medrash? That originally Gan Eten was the perfect environment. The place where man was close to Hashem. But then man soured up. Adam and Chava and their children messed up. And the Shekhinah left Gan Eten and created a gaping void, a gaping void of potential, what a true paradise can be. But Hashem said, Jewish people, when you build the Mishkan, that will be a return to Gan Eden. I am back in my garden when there is the Mishkan. Basi Ligani. I am back to the utopia that once was. Analyzing this Madrash, one could, on, from one perspective, see a visceral image 
of divine chastising. You, mankind, soiled up Ganete. You polluted the pristine spiritual environment of Ganeiden. So you have to be the ones to recreate it. I'm not doing it again. You got to do it now. You got to correct your mistake as human beings, rebuilding Ganeiden in the form of Mishka. But there's a more redemptive perspective. Appreciate that unlike the first Ganeiden, which was created by Hashem, this Ganeiden take two called the Mishkan is being built by the Jewish people, is being built by men. That while it is true, we are rebuilding Ganeiden because we, mankind, soiled it up. As is so often the case when it comes to failures. Failures actually become opportunities. Redos and reconciliations actually become opportunities to realize powers and potentials hitherto unknown. The Jewish people are having the opportunity to do exactly what Hashem did when he created Ganeiden. He's Hashem, he's the creator. Well, we become creators of sorts when we make the Mishkan. This sentiment, seeing the creation of Mishkan as a creation take two, man is rebuilding the Ganeiden as Hashem did the first time, is borne out splendidly by a plethora of Midrashic sources which compare the creation of the Mishkan to Briasa Olam, the divine creation of my separations. For example, there's a Gemara in Megillah that says, the day the Mishkan was inaugurated, Yom Shemini Lumiluah, Hayasim Chalofanav Kiyom Shenefer Boshamayim Ha'aretz. Hashem was as joyous as the day of creation. Why so? Because it was another day of creation. Or the Gemara in Brachas regarding Pitzalah, the chief craftsman of Mishkan, when it says, Betzalo knew the letters, the Kabbalistic system of building block letters, which Hashem used to create the world with his ten utterances. Betzalo used them in crafting the Mishkan. Betzalo's Chachma was not only as an artisan crafting the physical Mishkan, but he actually was imbuing the Mishkan with the spiritual godly powers of creation and creating the environment, the aura of the Mishkan, the way Hashem built a world. Well, that Gemara is no longer an isolated piece of Midrashic trivia, but integrates splendidly within the greater synthesis of Medrash, which we are developing. It was, in fact, a creation take two. It was a Ganeiden take two. And therefore, the creator of this project had to aspire to the divine level as a Bore, which is certainly a very audacious statement that we could assume the mantle of creator, but one which echoes of the fundamental principle of B'Tselem Elohim, we are created in the vision of Hashem, in the image of Hashem, which means a lot of things, but one thing which it means, says Rebchayim Velazhner, is man creates. Unlike the animals who simply respond to the world, man creates new realities, and man dreams to create. Man dreams to leave his mark, because we are like the creator himself. So here we have in the Mishkan, a model for this concept of man's drive to create, man's aspiration to be divine. Which I would just explains another Gemara, which derives from the verses regarding the creation of the Mishkan, 
Ubalev kol chacham lev nasati chachma, the notion that Hashem gave the Mishkan artisans chachma. From here, the, the Gemara derives the properties of human chachma in general. The Gemara brachas tafnon hey. That the Gemara is seeing the, the enterprise of creating the Mishkan not as an isolated event, but the source and the model for how we do intelligent exercises in general. Because the intelligent exercises of man are man's aspiration to be divine. Of course, Chachma is what separates us from the animals. So the Mishkan is the model of this, when the very mission, when the raison d'etre of the Mishkan was to be a pristine Ganeid and a pristine creation take two. And th- again, this, is, this perspective of Mishkan is inspiring. Inspiring to you and I when we undergo our own creative endeavors. We might not literally be building a Mishkan in a concrete sense, but in a sense we are. Becoming creators ourselves, hopefully with holy endeavor, like a Binyin HaMishkan. Whether you are a doctor, a lawyer, or a candlestick maker, or Tamar Chacham, it really doesn't matter. L'Shem Shemayim, you're using your creative endeavor to do great things, but Salam Elokim. Seen this way, we now can return to our original question. Seen the Mishkan seen this way. Why is it that we have, along with Parshas Truma, Hashem's vision of the Mishkan, an equally elaborate narrative of Parshas Vayakal describing the way the people did it? That is because the entire concept of the Mishkan was to take something divine, creation, creation of a utopia, as Hashem did at Masabrashis, and now hand over the baton to man. So the whole idea is to see how Hashem's vision of a Mishkan is now taken by man. Man owns it. We own this endeavor. There is not simply one small verse in Parshas Vayakal, the Jewish people did it. No, this is our project. We took it for ourselves. We become creators in our own right with a sense of ownership. So our share is equal as expressed in Parshas Vayakal. And this is not simply hyperbole that Hashem's project became a human project. But there's real consequence to this. Because, of course, if Hashem is going to create, it's going to be a perfect creation. It's going to be Ganeiden. Well, when man tries to create a Ganeiden, when man creates a Mishkan, it's going to be on a human level. And this is true not only regarding Mishkan. This is true regarding all our endeavor. We aspire to Tzalem Elohim. But everything we do in our life is limited by our humanity, is limited by our foibles, is limited. And nonetheless, Hashem glorifies our endeavor, whether it is Mishkan or other projects, as B'Tzal and Elohim. And that, I think, is what is going to take shape in Parshas Vayaka, that we will see when the people take on this project, it is clearly colored by their humanity, by their human talents, and at the same time, human limitations. But ultimately, it is seen as the Mishkan of Hashem fulfilling the Mishkan of Parshas Truma, the divine vision, because we human beings express Salam Elohim amidst our humanity. And this is a very, very important point. If I would tell you what you're doing on a daily basis is great, raising your family, honestly, Fulfilling your professional responsibilities, davening, learning. You're doing something godly. That that sounds great on a vision level. 
But on a practical level, sometimes it feels far from pretty, the fulfilling of responsibilities. We can give a whole smooth on the beauty of child-rearing and how in child-rearing we become like Hashem, our Father in Heaven. But when you translate that into the practical terms of diapering babies, of dealing with children who acted up at school, and all the other stuff, big and small, you know, when they're small, small children, small problems, big children, big problems, it might not seem divine anymore. Suddenly the great enterprise is colored by all the stuff. But yet we have to be machazic ourselves and understand, no, this is my job. My job is to deal with the divine project on a human level with all the human stuff. And that is what Parshas of Ayakal is going to sensitize us to. We're going to see as the Jewish people take a stab at this Mishkan thing, they are fulfilling the divine endeavor on a human level. And yet still it is divine. Because let's study now some of the differences, subtle as they may be, between Hashem's blueprint of the Mishkan on his divine level in Parshas Truma versus the way the Mishkan actually happened in Parshas Fayaka. The way the people act, actually did it when the rubber hit the road. So to begin with perhaps the most famous distinction, and that is the order, the sequence question. What came first? What was built first? The Mishkan, the building, or the Kalim, the vessels? It seems like a technical question, but it's an issue which is brimming with conceptual meaning. Let's peer in. In our parsha, it clearly says that first B'Tzalo built the structure, and only then the vessels. First he built the Mishkan, and then he built the Aron and the Menorah and so forth. Well, the Gemara says... That was not a foregone conclusion. When Moshe originally laid out the vision, Moshe first spoke about fashioning the vessels and only then the building. And Betzal said, hold on a second. You're telling me to fashion vessels before there's a building. Where am I going to put those vessels? And Moshe said, oh, you got a good point. In fact, that's what Hashem said. You're right, Betzal. First building, full storage facility, and only then. Yeah, Hashem really said that. That's why your name is Betzalo, Betzalkel, which means in the shadow of Hashem, you have divine insight. You get it. Now, now let's appreciate this Gemara, this deceptively technical Gemara about an order question. What should come first, furniture or house? And the notion you can't have furniture without a house. It's deceptively simple, or oversimplified to say it that way. Because the truth is, Moshe's original directive, which was first fashion the vessels and then the building, is well-sourced. Because if you go back to Parshish Truma, you'll notice that is exactly what Hashem said on Parshish Truma. First Hashem speaks about the vessels, the Aron, the Shulchan, the Menorah, and then he says build the Mishkan. So what we see here is actually there is an ideal for the Kalim to come before the Binyan, for the furniture, to, the, the vessels to come before the building. And Moshe, the man of Hashem who ascends on high, first articulates that divine dream. Bitsala, who's a man of this world, a man of the practical, raises a practical objection. Where am I going to put the furniture? That's not a divine perspective. That devil in the details, where I'm going to put the furniture, that's not divine, which is vision-focused, which is purpose-focused. That's a very practical consideration. And therefore, the deviation of Parshas Vayakal, if we could call it that, is the response to human practicality. Building needs to come before furniture. 
So let's tease this one out deeper, the symbolism of vessel before building. The reason why in the divine vision the Kalim need to come before the Mishkan is the Mishkan is an empty building. What gives the Mishkan meaning is what happens in it. Think about your own home. Your home is actually only a house, not a home at all. When we just talk about the bricks and mortar, it's an empty building. What makes a house a home is what happens in it, the the human relationships in it, that which we do together. It's what we do around the dining room table, which gives the house meaning. It's what we do on the couch in the living room, and so forth, throughout the various quarters in the house. That's what makes a house a home. So it is the Kalim, it's the place where Hashem and the Jewish people come together, where the calling on behalf of the Jewish people serves Hashem. That is the Iker, that is the focus, that is what's imbuing the Mishkan with its meaning. So Hashem by master design in Parshas Trumasas, from the divine perspective, first the Kalim, first focus on the purpose, and then you need a building to surround it. And that's what Moshe, the man of God, articulates. Bitsala, on behalf of the Jewish people, who's translating the divine into the human, who's translating vision and purpose into practicality. He says, hold on. It's very nice you're focused on vision, the vessels, what we're going to do inside, but at the end of the day, there's a practical impediment. First, you've got to deal with crossing T's and dotting I's. You've got to deal with practicality. You need a facility. And therefore, on a practical level, sometimes it's the nitty-gritty which comes before the purpose. And we have this in everyday life. When you have an idea, we're going to go on vacation. You don't start your vacation dreaming thinking about the gas station where you're going to find gas or other such lofty considerations. I say that sarcastically, lofty considerations, devil in the details. You think about the great fun we're going to have and what we're going to do together and how we're going to bond, and then the nitty-gritty details come. But I have news for you. When you're no longer in the realm of nisham and vision, the godly level, when you're in the human realm, the practical realm, implementation, before you deal with fun, bonding, you deal with, is there gas in my tank? Are there enough quarters in my wallet? And other such considerations. Because in the practical realm, of course, the practicality comes first. Sof masa the machshava is thinking of the end. The dream level is thinking about the end, but in the practical world, first it's the nitty-gritty considerations. So there's really a splendid dynamic we're seeing come to life in this Moshe Batsal exchange slash Parsis Truma, Parsis Fayakel difference or discrepancy between the divine vision and the human implementation. The divine vision is all exciting, is all purpose-focused. So hence it begins with the Kalim. And the bonding between Hashem and the Jewish people, which happens there, and then the practicality of bias. But on the human level, you need, you need a storage facility to put these vessels. And suddenly the great dream of a Shekhanti Besocham has suddenly taken on practical considerations. But that's the way it works. That is truly the way it works in the human realm. And while it is easy when one is worried about the practicalities to no longer see it as divine. It's devil in the details. And child care, it's dealing with issues, diapering children, dealing with children speaking fresh to you and other things. Yeah? It's dealing with dry cleaners. It's all of that stuff. But it is divine. It's the Parshas Vayakel equivalent of Truma. We aspire to the divine amid the nitty-gritty human practice practical considerations. That is, I think, the message of Vayakal vis-a-vis Truma as brought out by the inverse which happens in the sequence of Kalim versus Mishkan. 
and seen this way, developing the above Chazal deeper about Betzalel's insistence to first build the building so he has a storage facility, we can now begin to understand the Vilna Gon's commentary to that Gemara. You remember I said the Gemara says that Moshe accepted Betzalel's correction, if we could call it that. And said, you're right, you raise a good point that first we need the storage facility, first we need the building, then the, then the vessels. You, you got it, you're in the, you're, you're in the shadow of God, but sell Kel. Well, says the Vonagon, there's a beautiful Remus hint here in the recognition of Betzalel's inverse of the divine model. Betzalel saying, first build the building and then the vessels, inversing the divine model. There's a beautiful Remus to this in Betzalel's name, as Moshe acknowledges it here, Betzel Kel, the shadow of God. Because says the Vonagon, we know in life, a shadow is always the inverse image of the actual person or thing. When you walk outside, your right side's appearing on your left side and vice versa. Cute chap of the Vonagon. But what's he really saying? What is the significance of connecting Betzalel's reversal of Kalem versus Bias? to the way a shadow inverses the image of the human body. I think the idea is like this. A shadow is only a reflection of the person. The fact that the shadow inverses the model shows us that when there's a transformation from source to reflection, there's going to be changes which happen. This is true of my body vis-a-vis the shadow, but the same thing is true when we deal with the ultimate source, the divine Hashem vis-a-vis this world. We're B'Tselem Elohim, we're the image of Hashem, we're in a sense a shadow. I'm God, I'm not really God, I'm reflecting God. So on the B'Tselem Elohim level, calibrating it to the, humanity, to the human level, there's going to be inversions that's what the shadow symbolizes, by definition, because the project is no longer on the divine level, it's on the human level, there's going to be inversions. As we saw, as we see playing out here, on the human level, suddenly, it's only a reflection of the divine. You've got to deal with all of the human issues rather than the divine issues. There's an inversion. Practicality comes before purpose and vision. But that's the way it works, and it's embraced that way. Moshe celebrates Basal's practical consideration. Moshe does not say what many a romantic says, a quixotic romantic who has no patience for practical practitioners, and says, what are you talking nitty-gritty? I'm talking romance, I'm talking love, I'm talking Vishakhanti Besocha. Moshe gets it, this inversion is the way it's supposed to happen. So that's the beauty of Olnikon's interpretation. The shadow inverses from the source. I think the deeper meaning being, we are the shadow of Hashem, but that's how we achieved Solomon, inversions happen, such as devil in the detail focuses. And there's another similar revelation to be brought out in our parasha. Yet another subtle distinction between the way the Mishkan was actually constructed in our parasha versus the way it was conveyed by Hashem in the previous parashas of Trumat Hatzavah, the beginning of Kisisa. And that is as follows. You will notice that parashas Trumat Hatzavah and the beginning of Kisisa largely focused on how to build the vessels, buildings, garb of the Kohanim. And then the message ended midway through Kisisa. Observe the Shabbos. Make sure you don't build the Mishkan on Shabbos. 
And that makes sense. When you have a project on the vision level, on the divine level of Truma Tetzava Kisisa, you don't deal with schedule before the project. Imagine if I tell you, I have a great vacation idea. Let's start with dates and balancing calendars. And you see, I'm here to hear the exciting idea. First, you lay out the exciting idea. I want to get together. And then, oh, okay. Bottom line note, we got to deal with calendar issues. Makes sense. However, when B'Tzalel actually builds it in Parshas Vayakal, and the Jewish people begin the project, you'll notice in Parshas Vayakal, Moshe begins with Shabbos. Right? That which was the final message in Parshas Kisisa is actually the first message in Parshas Vayakal. Before Moshe tells them what? Before, I'm sorry, the Jewish people begin building anything. Moshe first cautions them, keep Shabbos. Why the inversion? Well, the answer is now simple. The whole message of, Ki- of Vayakal is... That when human beings begin the project, it's on the human level. It's only the reflections. Now devil in the detail sort of things become more prominent. We know it's true when you implement the project before you deal with the essence of the project. First, you've got to make sure your, your schedule is running right. If your schedule is off, that's going to blow up the project. So it begins with schedule. Moshe says, before we even begin this thing on the practical implementation level, Shabbos, let's make, just make it clear. Six days build this Mishkan, you rest on Shabbos. That was the bottom line of Hashem. It's the first line of the Jewish people beginning the Mishkan. And yes, scheduling issues and scheduling conflicts are not nearly as exciting as the project, but on the human level, they need to become prominent. We'll only achieve our Tzalem Elokin by responding to human limitations. And I laugh at this. Because we know in running any business, you have the vision behind the project and then then those who handle the practical things. Like the tech people or the accountants. Those who are balancing the books. I'm acutely sensitive to this in my house because I'm married to an accountant. So I know very well what it means being married to the practitioner of ruthless practicality. Well, you will notice that that is very much stressed within this Mishkan project. Following Vayakal, there's an entire Parshas Pekude, which is about counting and keeping the books. Trust me, bookkeeping does not appear in Hashem's visit in Shuma Tetzavah Kisisa. Right? On the vision level, on the divine level, it is not about crossing T's and dotting I's. You don't wax poetic about the IRS book. Maybe Alan, the master accountant among us, in his feedback after will change my perspective. But I, with, perhaps with some bias, I see that stuff as devil in the details practicality, but it becomes dominant on the human level, on the functional level. See how well the business is going to function without the Allens and other certified accountants. So here in the human translation of the divine project, it's very, very practical, and that's stressed and celebrated when Vayakal becomes, when the divine project becomes Vayakal Pekute. So to kind of bring it all together, the reason why in Mishkan the Torah is highlighting the human endeavor, along with the divine endeavor, Vayakal Pekude, along with the previous Trumits at Tzavah Kisisa, is because the Mishkan represents the great 
collaboration between Hashem and man. When a divine project becomes a human project, the, the Mishkan, which is Hashem's creation of Gan Eden, which now becomes the human project. And that is how we live all of life, B'Tselem Elokim. That all are very human endeavor in this world, in this devil in the detail world. We don't lose sight of the greatness of what we're doing. We're building another Gan Eden. We're doing something divine. We don't lose sight of it as much as the activities playing out in a Vayaka Pakude way, in a devil in the details way. Many in the Western world struggle with this, struggle with seeing the meaning what they're doing amidst very mundane tasks, and hence the whole mindfulness movement says you need to try to keep mindfulness as you're doing very practical things. Well, what am I really doing? Right? This is a fundamental Torah perspective. I am doing the divine while I'm doing very practical human things. And the Mishkan is appropriately the model of this as the recreation of creation now by man. Now there's another dimension to the Mishkan which comes right into perspective, which resonates splendidly from this perspective. And that is the fact that the Mishkan is the source of Shabbos. What do I mean? The Mishkan narrative stresses several times the mitzvah of Shabbos, including in our parsha. And for this reason, Chazal, the sages, derived the Lamatas Malachus, the 39 forbidden labors on Shabbos, from those endeavors they did in the Mishkan. And the question is, what is the deeper significance? Well, why are the 39 Malachus of Shabbos conveyed here through the Mishkan? Well, now it makes all sense in the world. Sing the Mishkan as man's attempt to redo Hashem's creation, as man's B'Tselem Elohim. Because the whole notion of Shabbos is that we imitate Hashem. It's not simply that we rest like him on the seventh day. It's that the six days when I am doing all of my stuff, I am imitating Hashem's creation. There's a profound assumption being made in there's a profound assumption. I can imitate the divine. When I'm doing my stuff six days a week, if I'm doing it right, I'm imitating Hashem's creation, and that's why I deserve to celebrate on a Shabbos. So that notion, that promise, that privilege of imitating the divine in everything I do throughout my life is going to be derived from the Mishkan, the rebuilding of Ganeta, when man was so clearly donning the role of creator as we developed from a plethora of sources in the beginning of this year. And whatever we're doing over the course of those six days, whether it's actually building a mission like the Jewish people, or whether it's the other stuff, earning an honest living and taking care of my family, and all that stuff, menial as they may seem, as we've said, they become divine because they're in the framework of Shabbos, they're in the framework of Mishka. And the understanding of Shabbos as derived from the Mishkan and our parsha, as man imitating the divine, the more we think about it, the more pieces fall right into place. For example, in the beginning of our parsha. Shabbos is introduced vis-a-vis Mishkan by specifying the malacha lo sevaru do not ignite a fire. 
This is the only one of the 39 malachos, which is spelled out explicitly in the Chumash. The others are derived only midrashically in Torah Shabal Pet. And Chazal, our sages, have struggled for time immemorial. Why is the only one of the 39 malachos spelled out explicitly in the text fire? Don't ignite a fire. And halachic minutia derivations are made, but I want to understand from a hashkafic, from a conceptual perspective, why is the malacha of Shabbos highlighted the fire? The fire in the construction of the Mishkan sees and assists from that. What's special about fire? Well, appreciating that the Shabbos endeavor, particularly as taking shape through the Mishkan here, is man imitating Hashem's creation process during the six days and then this resting on Shabbos. We immediately look at Hashem's creation during the six days and resting on Shabbos and try to trace the parallel, how the 39 malachos can be aligned with the various creations of Hashem and Bracious, the 39 malachos of the Mishkan. So you begin with the first creation of Hashem. What is the first creation highlighted by Bracious? By Yomer El-Kim Yihiyar, by Yihiyar. Hashem's creation of light. Well, it is so clear that the corollary to that first creation is the, is the malacha of creating fire. So clear. So it makes all the sense in the world that the Chumash is most fixated on fire because the malacha of Havara is the first correlation. It's the first powerful touch point we have to divine creation in the, in the building of Mishkan and Shabbos process. It's so clear, the correlation. Vayihiyar, we man makes fire. And just as Hashem desisted from his Vayihiyar on Shabbos, we desist from fires on Shabbos. Now it makes so much sense. Torah Shabbat lays out the first corollary between Hashem's creation and the human act in the Mishkan and in the Shabbos process, which sets Torah Shabbat on its way that it could derive all the other malachos which correlate to other voracious creations. That's a beautiful way of looking at the highlighting of the fire in the story, the Malach of Havara. And I would argue the, this parallel between the Malach of Havara igniting a fire and Vayihiyar really brings out very well the issue of man's imitation of the divine as much as man's doing it on a human level. Because on one hand, this is really divine. I'm creating light, right? There wasn't light here before. It was dark. I pull up my mattress. Now there's light. By Yihiyar, right? But we all know. I'm not really like Hashem doing a Yihiyar, ex nihilo yesh mayayim, creating something. Through combustion, I'm simply bringing pre-existent matters of creation from Hashem together. We human beings are creators to the best of our ability on a human level. But that's how we aspire to the divine. With our human imitations, it's celebrated. For my purposes, to my eyes, it seems like I made the fire. The fire wasn't here before. As much as I might know scientifically, I'm getting some help by Hashem. He gave me the components before. Well, that's always the way it is. All of my creations. I'm getting some help from Hashem. That's okay. For my purposes, as per my visual perspective, I'm aspiring to the divine. And as with every Torah true revelation, the thread begins to expand. The more pieces we bring together here, an even more expansive, harmonious picture takes shape. Because the more I think about seeing the creation of fire, that malacha during the 60s and resting on Shabbos as the imitation of my sabrachis, 
Well, that immediately brings to mind a powerful realization. When actually did man first discover the ability to create fire? When you think back to our cave men ancestors, they might have been Flintstone men. But if they, if they were Flintstone men, they certainly knew how to make a fire. Yeah, Flintstones. Well, when did they actually get together this fire thing? This is a fascinating Gemara, which is the source for a weekly custom we have during Havdalah. The Gemara is talking about where it comes from the notion during Havdalah that we light a ner, Matzei Shabbos. We light a, a candle, a torch. The Gemara says this is because the first Matzei Shabbos of the world... After the first Shabbos, it was then that Adam Harishon discovered the ability to make fire. He rubbed two flints together, and he made a fire. And therefore we celebrate this. Every Matzi Shabbos commemorating the first Matzi Shabbos, Bori Meore Hashem, you enabled us to discover fire. Now more than a piece of Midrashic trivia, that it was Matzi Shabbos that man discovered fire, this Gemara now, is brimming with insight. Because Matzi Shabbos is the beginning of Yom Rishon. It's the beginning of the first day. Now think about it this way. On the first Yom Rishon, Hashem created light by Hiyar. This first Matzi Shabbos is in turn the second Yom Rishon. It's the next cycle of creation. And now on Yom Rishon itself, the second Yom Rishon, man is discovering fire just like Hashem created on the first Sunday. That's unreal. When you realize the magnificent pattern lying right before us when we connect the dots here. That's so clear, the profundity of Adam discovering fire the first Matzi Shabbos. In a sense, you could say, when after that first week and that first Shabbos, the process was beginning again. Hashem was saying, I'm done my creation. But now human beings, it's becoming your turn. For six days, you will do your thing. You will create. It was so clear to Adam, yes, indeed. When on his first Yom Rishon, when it's his job, he did his Vayihiyar. That gave visceral and vivid expressions to this idea. And it also explains why the bracha of Bori Meoreisha Mati Shabbos was woven into the text of Havdalah. It's not a freestanding birchas hashvach, just a nice praise to Hashem we say for Bori Meoreisha, but ideally we're supposed to say it as part of Havdalah. This is why. Because Havdalah is supposed to mark the transition from Shabbos to Chol, the transition from last week and its, call, and its apex on Shabbos to the new week ahead. So Havdalah is marking not only the departing from the Shabbos of old, but the promise that lies in the week ahead. When we light that candle, Matzi Shabbos, that's part and parcel of the Havdalah as we think back to Adam's discovery on his Matzi Shabbos. Because that candle represents man's ability to be a creator in the week up ahead as beginning with his Vayihiyar in Yom Rishon. That's beautiful. It's magnificent the way it comes together this way. So truly, with our human limitations and the basic rhythm of a Jewish week and a Jewish Shabbos as derived from the Mishkan appropriately, is the notion of aspiring to the divine, the glory of all we did amidst the mundane. It's elevating, it's beautiful. But there's a caveat. Always a caveat. There's a caveat here. For all the glory of man, for all the aspiration to the divine of man, 
Hashem gave us great powers, great chachma. We know that man could abuse all of this. And in a sense, Chazal tells man is worse than an animal if man fails, if man decides to be a source of negativity in the world. Because if man is a source of negativity, he's marshalling divine power, the greatness of the human mind in a negative direction. Better he be an animal. Well, to complete tonight's year, I want to see how that too, the cautionary note that human being, and you don't abuse your tzalamelkin, don't misuse this great prowess, that too is part of this whole Parshas Vayakel, Mishkan fire motif. It's woven right in. The key is to continue developing this Losavaru, this fire business, particularly the above-cited Gemara about Adam discovering fire on Mati Shabbos. Because the Gemara continues. After it says that Adam discovered fire, it says that first Matzi Shabbos, there was something else he did as well, which is less savory than the warmth of his fire. It says Adam then on that Matzi Shabbos interbred two animals. A sus and a chamar, a horse and a donkey, thereby creating a parrot, a mule. In Torah thought, a mule is not a positive. Not only does the Torah prohibit the Jewish people from interbreeding animals, but we know the mule is unable to reproduce, so it represents an adulteration of Hashem's creation. Hashem had these beautiful animals with future and capability, the horse and the donkey respectively, you're corrupting Hashem's creation by interbreeding them into a mule. What is, again, beyond a nice piece of Midrashic trivia, what is the deeper symbolism and meaning conveyed by this Gemara? That on that first Matzei Shabbos, right after creating fire, Adam then interbred the Sus and the Chamar. Well, appreciating that that first Matzei Shabbos represents man now assuming the role of Tzalem Elokim, doing his Yom Rishon Vayahiyar. Well, side by side now, when man is corrupting the natural order, Man's messing up creation in his shenanigans and his machinations. I'm going to do a better job than Hashem. I'm going to duel with Hashem here, right? I'm going to do it my way. Mule, right? No, you're destroying Hashem's creation. There's symbolism here beyond breeding animals. This symbolizes the potential for abuse of the Tzalmokim. That when Adam was re-beginning the week, when Adam was now assuming the role of creator in his own right, following Hashem's precedent, he also showed that he could use this destructively. And that is the cautionary word to this whole elevating message of Tzalem kim and man's ability to create. It's a cautionary note. But the overall message is largely a positive one. Amidst all the stuff, Devil in the details. Children being children. Dry cleaners being dry cleaners. Fellow motorists being fellow motorists. I missed all this stuff. As we pursue our great work, never lose sight of the fact we are doing something divine when we live this life and accomplish Lamar Hashem. That is the great message of the Mishkan articulated from the human perspective small as it might be, relative to Hashem. 
celebrated in a sense as much as Hashem's vision of the Mishkan and Parshas Truma, may we all aspire to great things, to the Tzalem Elokim, amidst the human condition, and thereby introduce that elusive quality into our work, which we're all striving for, the quality of meaning of Neshama, of Ruchnius. Thank you very much.